Today on the program, the day I get out of prison, my own brother picks me up in a police car. It's the Blues Brothers. Watch party. I am your host, Nick. Joining me as always are the fried chickens to my coke. Los and Brandon. Are you the police? No, ma'am. We're musicians. That's what I'm going with. Oh. <laughs> well, you're gonna play something about fried chickens. Alright, so how are we doing, guys? What's I'm up? I'm alright, eh? How's how was Christmas? Christmas is good, you know. Yeah. We are back. We're back. You shouldn't make it topical because this is coming out oh, after that's right. Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. This does take place after Christmas, though, so we can ask about it. Um, today we are talking about Blues Brothers from 1980. 1980? 1980, written by Dan Aykroyd and John Landis and directed by John Landis. John Landis is one of the policemen? He was one of the policemen in the mall scene. Oh, in the mall scene. Um, but this was a big project for him. It's kind of, I think his, he had a, something called, I don't remember, he had like basically a Bigfoot movie, and then essentially this, like this was kind of his uh, big, big breakthrough. But he had a hell of a run. I mean, this guy, I guess he did have Animal House before this. Ooh. Uh, something called Kentucky Fried Movie, which I've heard a lot about but never seen, but Animal House, this, American Werewolf in London, which is fucking huge, Trading Places. The thriller music video slash movie thing that Michael Jackson did. Uh, Spies Like Us, which is hilarious. Three Amigos Coming to America. I mean, the guy just fucking... Oh. And this is all Landis? This is all Landis. God damn. Yeah, I, dude I was, was on good a for fucking him. roll. Uh, he also was a part of that Twilight Zone movie, which nobody likes to talk about. Have you heard of the, the controversy with that? No. Is that the one with the monster on the wing? Uh, they did that because well, it was like vignettes, right? So mm-hmm. they took a few clips from the the TV show and turned them into things for the movie. And one of them was a redid the thing on the wing. Because on the TV show, it was uh, fucking Kirk. What's this bitch ass? How am William I Shatner. Yes, Shatner. Uh, and then in the movie, I believe it was Lithgow. Okay. But yes. So, But in that, there was one scene where they had a helicopter. And during filming, the helicopter crashed and killed people. Oh. They, did they leave that in? Uh, I don't think they did. <laughs> I think they were actually going to, though. But uh, so that the Twilight Zone movie has a bit of a bad legacy, I guess, a bit of a sour taste surrounding it. And John Landis was was on that. But other than that, you know, killing people, hell of a career for this guy. Uh, So not much to bring up. Yeah, Dan Aykroyd, uh, he and Belushi were already touring and recording as the Blues Brothers. Before this movie came out. Okay, so that was them like that would perform? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, so they started as a Saturday Night Live skit where they were in bee costumes for some fucking reason. <laughs> I think they were doing like the blue song Queen Bee or you're, like a Bee's Honey or something. I don't know. But uh, they, So it started as that and turned into something. And then they went and, yeah, they toured. They have multiple albums out. And then... Decided to make a movie. Do they actually write any tunes, or are they all as just far covering? As I know it's all covers. Okay, all covers. Because that's exactly what I want in a band: is all covers, all covers. Well, I mean, in blues, that's 
predominantly what you do anyway. Yeah, it's all old stuff. Yeah, it's all Elmore. And then you hear the original version finally, and it's Elmore James on his porch with an acoustic guitar playing slide. And you're like, well, that that's not at all how Kenny Wayne Shepherd did it. What the fuck is this? <laughs> Where's the killer guitar solo? Yeah. Where's that over-processed wah pedal guitar solo? Come on. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they were actually in the studio when they pitched the idea for the movie, and it kind of ran from there. So Dan Aykroyd was told to write a They're script. They're like the original Tenacious D. I think so. Right? Probably like a novelty act that ended up getting into it took movies. Took it seriously. And, yeah. And uh, toured around, made some money. Except they didn't write anything, much less about cock push-ups and fucking gently. They just covered old blue standards. Well, Tenacious D tried. They just couldn't get anywhere, and they go, we got to try something different. Dude, we can't keep covering blue standards, dude. It's just not working. There's Blues Brothers is not... It's not happening for us anymore. Yeah. They were actually called Tenacious Blues. Oh, I thought they were the Bluezer Brothers. The Bluezer Brothers. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, Aykroyd turned in a original draft that was like three hundred something pages long, and uh, John Landis trimmed it down to like a hundred something and made like a no, we're going to make a normal length because he wanted to do like a double movie, like a sequel, back to back. Movie like, experience. Yeah. Okay, like Back to the Future or something. Uh, well, like how two and three were filmed together and put out yeah. right next to each other. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but so they trimmed it down to this one. It was supposed to be called The Return of the Blues Brothers, but they just decided to go with the Blues Brothers. So as it starts, we get the new and then the old Universal logos. Universal really likes just stacking its logos up front. I don't know any other company that does that, but Universal just fucking front loads its movies. Yeah, <laughs> they uh, they definitely. Hey, look how much, how long we've been around, and how many different styles of logos we have, guys. Look how many different logos we have. You Watch guys just them don't all. understand how cool we are. You know yeah, how right, much pride right. we take in our. We took pride in our production there. company <laughs> logos, and I won't stand for this. Yeah, so they got to keep that guy happy. That one guy. They, he. He's really, he's really pissed off, you know. He writes letters, and so John Landis is like, "Look, we guys, took pride. We know, we know." And he even writes it out. It's like this dude wrote in all caps. He means business. <laughs> um, okay, so when the movie starts, we open on like just general B-roll flyover footage, right? Yep. Uh, it's supposed to be in Chicago. It was actually filmed in Danville, which is close to, but not not close enough to be considered part of Chicago. But Danville, uh, Danville. Like Daniel, Illinois, like like Anvil, like Anvil, like Anvil, but with a D. Okay, like if your Anvil had Danville. a D, Danville could give you the D. Danville, give me the big D. The big D. All right, take it easy. All right, but so we're seeing like factories, smokestacks, very bleak, very downtrodden. You know the bad part of town, right? That's Gray, right. disgusting, and then it cuts to Joliet Correctional Center. Joliet Correctional Center. Yes. And so we get guards. They walk, wake up a guy on the top bunk. And the guy on the bottom bunk's just laying there staring up at him. But they're like, we got to get this guy out. And they're like hitting him with their batons. Like, wake up. Wake up. And he's just not giving a fuck. But we do see the uh, knuckle tattoo. It says Jake. All right. So they're walking him down the hall. We never see his face. Just mostly feet or back shots, right? As they're walking him, like, across the yard even. Uh, through all these parts of the prison. Unusually long walk. A very no long walk. Like, all of the opening credits of this movie are just not seeing who the hell this is or what's going on. 
Uh, we finally get to the the front desk, I guess, for lack of what I don't know. There's sure I'm sure there's a term for it. Uh, and he's getting checked out of prison by none other than Frank Oz. Mm-hmm. That Frank is Frank Oz. Oz. Is. Yes, he's the voice of <laughs> Kermit. Piggy, Fozzie, also he was Bert Grover and the Cookie Monster, and yes. Waka waka. (laughs) All of these beloved characters. Kermit, what are you talking about, Kermit? You could probably do all. Oh, you could probably do all of Frank Oz's uh, impressions. They're all pretty much just this kind of voice. (laughs) Oh, Oh, Kermit. Oh, Kermit, I am. Oh, wait, that was Jordan, my bad. Oh, they're all, they all just kind of go together. That's just Frank Oz's waka waka. And he's made billions <laughs> off of that thing, I'm sure. Why not? Um, Is he milking that teat? Oh, he uh, he's milking that voice teat. <laughs> Is that a, if that's a thing? Milking that larynx? Is that vocal no, cord? Teat? That apple? Adam's apple? Adam's apple? No. All right. Uh, all right. Nope. Moving on. Yeah, all right. So uh, I wrote out, when he's checking Jake out, We've got one... Time- one unused prophylactic. Oh, that's the second part. <laughs> uh, we start with one Timex digital watch. Yeah. Broken. broken. One... They broke my watch! Yeah, that, that becomes a running theme. we got one unused prophylactic, and then one soiled. One soiled. There it is. And then in the middle of it, this old cop car pulls up outside, and you see Elwood... Finger tattoo. Well, L. W- it's just L. L- <laughs> missing two. <laughs> and then over onto the other hand, which is hilarious. And then we get boots, black. Belt, black. One. No, he doesn't actually speak as he but <laughs> one black suit jacket, one pair of black suit pants, one hat, punches it out, black, one pair of sunglasses, $23.07. Sign here. But he has to lean over because he can't cross that line. <laughs> He's so yeah. short. It was a good little gag. It, uh, it uh, very briefly reminded me of that scene of uh, in Clockwork Orange when he's checking out of prison. He has to lean to sign for all his stuff or whatever, and he can't cross the line, so he's got to do that really long over. lean yeah, over. It, yeah, it's kind of the same gag. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it's hard to strike somebody when you're in that position. <laughs> yeah, so, yes, but I think also, that's the point. Yeah, <laughs> the whole window he's behind and everything. I mean, there's a small thing where your stuff's coming through. It had the I, gate on it, and then yeah, he pulled that up, punch up through. Uh, yeah, or the guard that's behind you. You know. Yeah, you're leaned over. You're not doing much. Yeah, right. But also, you're getting out. You know, just just let me the fuck out of here. Why would you try to cause more trouble? I guess you might be like Bronson, which we'll get to that movie. Whew. He tried very hard to keep himself in prison. It was very successful. You know, cocaine was actually included in the budget for yes. this movie. <laughs> yes, there was so much cocaine throughout the entire filming of this that it was part of the film's budget. Well, how did they get... How, how, how's that? I don't know what they covered it as, but Dan Aykroyd... They did so many night shoots that Dan Aykroyd included it in the budget because everybody needed it to stay awake for night shoots. Also, it was Carrie Fisher's job, apparently, to keep... Uh, Belushi away from cocaine. She was like, <laughs> fuck you. That's not possible. Because he would take off. He would disappear all the time during filming. Like They'd find him in like somebody's house somebody's, near, yeah. near the set. He'd be in houses or he'd go around and meet friends of his that were in Chicago and they'd give him coke. I mean, he just would run off and do his own thing throughout the whole <laughs> filming of the movie. Um, all right, so we get... I don't know if we're supposed to recognize that it is, but we do recognize that it's Dan Aykroyd that gets out of the car. I mean, it's very obviously him. Hollywood uh, blues. And so he's very like, dressed up in the whole suit, right? 
and then the prison door opens, and we just see the silhouette, but you can see the suit is on. Uh, she caught the Katie starts. I fucking love this song. And so we get to meet John Belushi, Daniel, Dan Aykroyd, and the title card all on the hits of the opening of She Caught the Katie, which is fantastic. Well, I mean, one of the fucking... What's the name of it? She, cuts- she Caught the Katie, which is a Taj Mahal song, but I love the Blues Brothers version because that Donald Duck Dunn bass line will rock your fucking face off. The bass line in She <laughs> Caught the Katie is just tits. I love it so fucking much. Here we go. So these hits, there's where we get Dan Aykroyd. And then the next hit, we get John Belushi. And then the third one, we get the title card. And then the drums. She Listen to that fucking bass. She All right, so uh, song kicks in. We get the opening. We drive off. So he's uh, he's like, "What the fuck happened to the caddy? Where's the Cadillac? What'd you do with the caddy?" He's like, well, "I traded it." You traded that caddy for this? No, for a microphone. <laughs> okay, I could see that. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, oh, our opening line about. Day I get out of prison, my own brother picks me up in a police car. So, you don't like it? No. I don't like it. And they're at a toll bridge, right? And it's starting to raise. So he fucking pulls out a line, slams on the gas, and jumps this bridge. And it is the East 95th Street Bridge. I'm going to have to throw that out, else Coach will get pissed if we don't call out Chicago landmarks. (laughs) East 95th Street Bridge is what they ramp... Uh, and so then they land on the other side. It's got a lot of pickup. So what do you say? Is it the new Bluesmobile? Fix a cigarette lighter. And that's our opening. Like, what a fucking great start to a movie. I love it. I, I loved the cigarette lighter. Yeah. yeah. like such a cool thing that you'll never get in future cards. Oh, they're, true. They're not in there. They but aren't. Anything. Uh, that's a good. Uh, ask, uh, why don't you ask your, your device over there? Uh, when was the last time that they put cigarette Lighters in cars. Okay, Google. When was the last year they put cigarette lighters in cars? According to MotorBiscuit.com, the ashtray and cigarette lighters were popular in cars from the 50s and 60s and became a staple for the interior for years after that. It wasn't until the 90s that automakers started phasing them out altogether. There we go. The 90s. You can still buy the cigarette lighter, though, and just plug, because all cars still, still have, have that, that port. Well, because all it is is, yeah, it's just a, what, a 9-volt, or like it's some port. Just yeah, just well, it's 12 volts is what it pumps 12. through, and it's just, a, it's just a coil that heats up from the electricity. That's it. So you can still buy that, but yeah, they don't come with them. It's really cool how it popped Standard. open when it was done, too. Yeah, yeah. Like, that was the thing. You put it in when it popped out, you knew it was ready. There you go. <laughs> really cool. Yeah, so uh, I do, yeah. I, that being said, and, and you guys go check out our merch store. We've got those we've for got sale, our branded cigarette lighters. cigarette lighters. Car, car. car cigarette lighters. Car cigarette lighters. Yeah. Uh, but also it's a fun, like a cool way of him just being like grudg- begrudgingly conceding that, okay. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm not going to fully say, yeah, cool. Let's keep the car. But yeah. So they go to St. Helen of the Blessed, Sh- Blessed Shroud Orphanage is the name. And so 
you promised you'd visit the penguin the day you got out. So what? I just fucking I lied to her or whatever. So you can't lie to a nun. <laughs> so we got to go in and talk to the penguin. Uh, and this is where we meet Sister Mary Stigmata. Stigmata. Is her fucking name. <laughs> uh, played by Kathleen Freeman, who's in like the Naked Gun movies. Uh, she was in Inner Space, but also, most notably probably to us and our listeners, the weird foster mom that Joe Dirt had when it was the Malcolm in the Middle kid playing young Joe Dirt. And the dog was humping his leg. Like, can oh, I, can I yeah. Make him stop? He'll stop when he's finished. <laughs> same, same actress, same actress. So she's at the top of this fucking staircase, and they walk up, and it's like the creepiest goddamn staircase. This big, sullen-looking Jesus statue up in the corner, in the yeah. corner staring down at him. The door opens on its own and then shuts behind him on its own, and they get to the top of the stairs, and that door opens and shuts behind him. Super creepy. And so we, this, uh, this scene basically is just our, our basic plot of the movie. right? She says that uh, they have to pay their taxes on the property... Otherwise, they're going to shut it down. Like, shouldn't the church pay that? Yeah, if they gave a shit and wanted to keep this place open. But they don't. So, we're basically fucked. Mm -hmm. And uh, so... We'll give you the money. Yeah, we'll get you the (laughs) money. I don't want your dirty money. Well, I guess you're up shit's creek. Slaps (laughs) him with the yardstick. That was pretty funny. And then she asked him to repeat. You said you needed money. Yes. I offered to help. Yes. You said you didn't want the help. So I said, you're up shit's creek. <laughs> and then it just turns into goddamn shit fucking Both of them. And d- 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 two of them, which makes them cuss even Jesus more. Christ. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Until the yardstick breaks and she ends up like brandishing and whipping through the air this like metal rod. Yeah. And she then starts hitting him with. <laughs> and uh, so they they try to run, but they're stuck in the chair or in the desk chairs oh talking about that scene yeah when they first sat in those chairs they were up against the wall and she's like no come closer or whatever and they awkwardly (laughs) scoot their chair because i think everybody's done that yeah because it's those ones we had like in elementary school where the desk wraps around from the right side Mm -hmm. to the front of you and it's attached to the chair yeah and it's just easier to do that i don't even know what you it's a weird walk almost a duck walk kind of thing yeah because you're you stand up enough that it's Stuck to your ass, and you're kind of, yeah, duck walking across. Yeah, <laughs> I miss those desks that opened up like had storage, like you get only in kindergarten, but yeah, first yeah, grade, then it, second grade, then maybe it just became the little tablet, and the, essentially, just it, the flat top, just the flat top with the cage underneath, so you mm-hmm. can put your books yeah. or whatever, and the little indentation on the top for your pencil, for the pencil, yeah, there's something you could do, and everybody carves Zeppelin rules into them, <laughs> yeah, not much because they fucking do. They, uh, there's this thing you can do where if you wet your fingers and you rub the cage a bit just right and you can whoa, get it whoa to, whoa buddy where are you you going? rub the cage a bit and it, <laughs> it makes like you know if you do it with uh, water like a bunch of water glasses and you do the rim oh. Oh. so you can just fucking do that the whole time I did not know you could make your desk cage scene it would just make was people that, go crazy a, around you was yeah. that a Maya Angelou book I know why the desk cage sings uh, I bought it on Amazon. It should be here in the next yeah. couple of weeks. It's been backdoored. You shouldn't make jokes about it. It's so popular. Oh, I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay, so they they try to get away from her, but they're stuck in these tiny little fucking kid desks, and they end up like falling down the stairs to get away from her. Also, fun little fun little note, Belushi fucked his back up falling down the stairs. That was him that... Yeah, it was actually him. 
And he spent the rest of filming in a back brace and like was taking painkillers and stuff. He's like, man, I need back. Oh, my back <laughs> oh, yeah. brace, painkillers. And then he pain needed the killers. cocaine to. <laughs> yeah, all sorts of pain. But no, he uh, and that was according to director John Landis. That mm. bit. So cover story is kind of what that sounds like. <laughs> How do you explain the hole in his nose? Well, he needed to. Uh, that happened. No, he hurt his thought. back. That's it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Needed the cocaine. To yeah, that's the ticket. Yeah. So then she's like, I'm so pissed off that two of the boys I raised came back as foul-mouthed blasphemers or whatever. Get out and don't come back until you've redeemed And don't yourselves. come back until you've redeemed yourselves. <laughs> and then she crosses her arms on her chest like a fucking vampire and just <laughs> glides backwards and then the door shuts. It's like, what the fuck? And then we get, boys, you got to learn not to talk to nuns that way. And look up, and we get to meet Cab fucking Calloway. Cab Calloway. was our first legit, like, superstar cameo of the movie. Cab Calloway was a huge fucking jazz musician, band leader, singer. Uh, Love me some Cab Calloway. But he plays Curtis, who's the old man that sort of raised them when they weren't getting beat up by the nun, I guess, as they were kids. (laughs) Got them in. Curtis. I don't want to listen to no jive-ass oh, preacher talking to me about heaven and hell. Not there yet. Curtis. But Curtis, right. So they go down into the basement where Curtis lives. He pulls some Jack Daniels out of the fuse box, which is probably not a good spot to keep that. <laughs> uh, got SML more James playing on the record player, and he's like, you need to go over to, or you need to slide on down to the Triple Rock. Listen to Rev Cleophus. And that's where we get, I don't want to listen to no jive-ass preacher talking to me about heaven and hell. Jake, you get wise. You get to church. <laughs> so we get to our first musical number. They go to the Triple Rock. We got James Brown as Reverend <laughs> Cleophus James doing a song called The Old Landmark. And James Brown as a reverend is pretty funny, dude. To, you know what? The whole crack cocaine addiction and that's okay. man-whoring. That's, and, uh, that's okay. All the things that James Brown was known for. Yeah, yeah. He was, he was a saint. Yeah. You, you take, take that back right now. I mean, it had to have, had to have been a joke in and of itself to make James Brown a, a reverend. But So there, yeah, we got the choir singing. Shaka Khan is a member of the choir. Shaka Khan herself and doing the whole song. And people are like flipping, trampoline, <laughs> flipping up through the air. And, you know, and it's almost like, the music going on and it cuts or he's just talking specifically to Jake. Have you seen the light? And the clouds part and the light the sunbeam down comes the in heavens, through the window and he's like, the band, the band. And then he cartwheels his ass down the fucking aisle and starts dancing and jumping around. And Was El- that also John Belushi? Yes. <laughs> yes. It actually is. Um, so then he comes back and he's like, don't be lost when you So he ended up getting Elwood in on it too. The band, the band Elwood, and Elwood finally catches on. Jesus H. Tap dancing. Christ, I have seen the light. So they start dancing. Yeah, everybody's dancing, and I love Elwood's dancing is just high steps. Yeah, just high, <laughs> knee, high knees basically is this whole dancing style. Um, while everybody's testifying and going to church. Um, funny part about this is James Brown could not figure out how to lip sync. Oh, really? He just couldn't figure he it out? get it out. Because, I mean, especially like blues and soul music, you improvise. It's going to be different every single time you do it. So he couldn't. 
So they did a backing track, and he just sang to the backing track. The choir's lip syncing, everybody else is, but James Brown's actually singing in the scene because he couldn't get his lip syncing together. It's better if they just do it that way. I mean, I prefer yeah. it that way. I understand. Sounds, and I you totally can tell it. the difference when it's like live or not. Like I think they yeah. did that with Ray Charles too, right? Uh, I only saw it was him and Aretha Franklin. Were the only I think two they listening. just like went that way because you listen, you can hear it sounds just like they're not lip syncing in some right. of the, in a lot of these scenes, especially Ray Charles. Yeah, I mean, I mean, maybe they didn't even try with Ray Charles. Like, you know what, Ray, you're you're a music genius. We're just gonna set up a bunch of mics at a screen and just let you do your thing, man. <laughs> um, so then we leave the church. We got our we got our idea. We know how we're gonna get the money now, right? So we're cruising. We listen into Sam and Dave. They got soothed me by Sam and Dave. Fucking love me some Sam and Dave. Uh, funny part: Sam and Dave were on Stax Records and. Uh, the studio band, much like if you saw Standing in the Shadows of Motown, is about the Funk Brothers, who are like the studio band that played on all the Motown records. Uh, Stax Records had a, a studio band that were basically the guys from Booker T and the MGs, which are Steve Cropper and Duck Dunn, who are the guys in the Blues Brothers band also. Yeah, so Steve like Steve Crocker is the guitar Steve Cropper is the guitarist that looks like Teen Wolf. Yeah. <laughs> and Duck Dunn is, well, he's the bassist. He's Donald Duck Dunn with the pipe. Oh, yeah, and yeah. The big burly Afro, beard. Afro, he looks like Bob Ross. A little bit, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but they actually played on all these records anyway. So, like, when the Blues Brothers are doing it, it's them. But when you're listening to the Sam and Dave 8 track and the Bluesmobile, that's still them on the recordings. Because <laughs> they were actually in, the, in that band. So, a little off of the cap. I guess. They were, like, getting royalties from both ends, honestly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Fuck it. Um, so, they're like, it was, he has to break the bad news to him that getting the band back together is not going to be that easy. You know, I I didn't keep in touch with them. Like, I was on the inside. You were on the outside. You were supposed to keep in touch. I kept asking you if we were going to play again. I was like, what was I going to do? Fucking take away your only hope? Your only ray of light on the inside? So you lied to me. I didn't lie. It was just bullshit. But they supposedly run a red light. But I rewound a they few didn't. times. It was yellow. Yeah. It was yellow when they go through the intersection. It was definitely, Absolutely yellow. definitely yellow. But they get pulled over, and uh guy takes his license, and he's like, oh, they probably got scamads. What's scamads? Scamads. Scamads is state, county, municipal, offender, data system. They have a computer. Basically, yeah. They, look they got at, Google. But it's 1980, so they didn't have the whole system yet, I guess. It wasn't as common just right. to just run your license at the time. So the readout for Elwood when they put it through their scamads is it says blues, comma Elwood, Illinois license B two six three one six five five two one eight seven. Currently under suspension, warrants outstanding, parking a hundred and sixteen, <laughs> moving violations fifty six, and then in flashing letters, arrest, arrest. driver impound vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> so they they come back up and like your license is suspended. We need you to step out of the car and he just floors it and take off. So we get our first chase of the movie, also the first utterance of the catchphrase: "We're on a mission from God." From God, they're not going to catch us. We're on a mission from God. We're on a mission from God. So they end up in this parking lot and they're just racing around the parking lot. Like we need to get out of here. We need to get on the freeway. Well, get us out of. You got us into this parking lot. Get us out of here. Oh, you want out of the parking lot? Okay. Boom, into a fucking toy store where some guy's asking about Miss Piggy dolls, funnily enough. Mm. Frank Oz is in this. And then we <laughs> chase around the mall. And I love how they're being chased by two cop cars, one of which driven by director John Landis. Uh, and they're just like, oh, man, 
this place has everything. <laughs> new Oldsmobiles are out early this year. Yeah. Malls were still new yeah, at, at that just, point. So. And they're just cruising around, like casually talking about all the stores in the mall while like <laughs> driving through windows and through walls and fucking wrecking cop cars. And so, yeah, one of the cop cars ends up on its top, like mm-hmm. kind of spinning out the momentum. And that driver gives our first utterance in the movie of They Broke My Watch. They Broke My Watch. <laughs> so then we get the Peter Gunn theme. Which I love. Uh, songs written by Henry Mancini. Good old Henry Mancini. Uh, also did Pink Panther, Baby Elephant Walk, and Moon River. So he drives down this really narrow alley and parks in like a shed. Or, you know, opens these two doors and parks. Basically, it's the Transformers, the electricity for Chicago Transit Authority. And uh, there was a part in the original script, the 300-some-page cocaine-rambling-fueled thing that Dan Aykroyd turned in, that parking here at the Transformers powered the car, and that's how it's able to do its supernatural shit. Mm. And John Lynn was like, nah, we're just going to... The whole movie is going to run on no physics. Don't worry about it. Kind of worked that out. But that was like, and I think that's only on the DVD. I don't know a theatrical release. I don't think you even see them park it in that little shed. So I don't know what version you, which version you guys watched. If that was no, I didn't see any. Of you that. didn't see them park it. No. And, okay. Well, so uh, I think there are a few of these scenes like that didn't make it into the regular release. But yeah, he goes. It's a super narrow alley. In fact. Jake has to get out of the car so he can drive down it and gets into this little, like, they open barn doors almost, and he pulls in, and it has, like, high voltage warnings and and all that. Anyway, so that's where he parks his car overnight. And uh, so they go up to his place. They're walking up to the front door. It's like a shitty little hotel extended play extended stay yeah and the, or man, also on home. the marquee yeah it was for men only for men only yeah <laughs> uh and hotel well, for men yeah essentially uh and i think there's a sign as we get up and talk to the guy in a bit here that says like what well, no ladies allowed or something but they're walking up the front door and also there's carrie fisher shooting fucking rockets out of nowhere, just fucking yeah, rocket launches like, at him. Um, so Carrie Fisher's in this. We might know her from a few other movies, potentially. Not that I can she think a, of off the top of my head. She now. has a somewhat known Oh, she was in Jay and Silent Bob. Uh, she was in Jay and Silent Bob. Strike Back. Strike Back. That's right. That's what we know mm. her from. That would be it. Yeah, she was the nun. Mm-hmm. Could she be the same nun in this? I'm just no, definitely. She definitely works not. for the nunnery. She's a nunnery. <laughs> But so it's funny because she fires what three or four rockets yeah. and all it does is knock the doors down. Well, do continuity error. She fires five rockets, mm. but the rocket launcher itself only has four, four barrels. Four barrels. So yeah. you know, God damn it, John Landis, <laughs> we expect more out of you. You did Animal House, um, but it really only knocks the doors off, and they just get up. And they dust themselves off, and they even pick the doors up and like lean and them against them the, the wall, side. and then just walk up the stairs like. No, what the fuck was that? What happened? Are you okay? Nothing. They just super cash about it and walk upstairs. And he talks to the guy. The guy's like, yeah, somebody came by. Some cop. Here's the card. Send me back. Yeah. Uh, this is my brother. He's going to be staying with me. Okay. 
And then I love this. We're about to walk off. We get the most random thing that's ever happened, I think, in a movie. <clears throat> you get my cheese whiz, boy. And he just fucking out of nowhere pulls a can of cheese whiz out of his back pocket and throws it to the guy who sits it on the table and goes back to playing poker. And they just walk <laughs> off like, what the fuck was that? You get my cheese whiz, boy. And there's boy? no explanation. Nothing. No, it's at just all. that. That's it. Just... <laughs> Cheese whiz for some reason. So his place is basically a closet. Like when he opens it, you can hardly even open the door all the way because it hits the bed. You got a bed, you got a little burner's almost stove and a fridge, and then that's it. Yeah. I think there was a tiny it's sink. By the uh, the train tracks. Right and next to the a, train tracks. He had a record player. And <laughs> I liked the line where he's like, oh, you know, does it bother you or whatever? It's oh, like, there's a train go by. So often you won't even notice it. And it's also funny that every time, at least that I could tell, that every time they got the shot uh, from the other end of the apartment down across Elwood out the window, mm-hmm. every time you see that window, a train goes There's by. A train. At least one. Sometimes they're going both directions. Mm-hmm. But like when you see from his perspective looking at Jake in the bed, no. But every time he goes back, train. Every <laughs> single fucking time. So good little, good little gag. Um, they're like, Cops are going to know where you live. Cops are going to find you. He's, no, 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 no. When I renewed my license, I put my address as 1060 West Addison. It's Wrigley Field. Ah, nice. So, little gag. So, it doesn't work out too well because the next morning, obviously, the cops are there. John Candy's got it figured out. He just says, I kind of like the Wrigley Field bit. Oh, yes, we get John Candy. Fucking RIP, the legend John Candy. First appearance. First appearance in the rewatch. Uh, definitely not the last, but... Fucking love John Candy. In yeah. fact, this is the only movie that stars both John Candy and John Belushi because they tend to be competitors for roles. Oh. But they're so. friends. Showing you we can work together. Yeah, we can work together. And I feel like Belushi was chugging whiskey and doing cocaine and all this crazy shit, and John Candy was like the nice pure one that went home and put on a sweater and sat in front of the fireplace or something. <laughs> Didn't he die of a drug overdose? I don't know. I don't know what John Candy died from. I think he died uh, from an overdose. He died. I mean, he out, he outlived Belushi by a long shot, so he didn't didn't kill himself uh, way too early like Belushi and Farley did. Heart attack. Heart attack. See, May, which could have been brought on by <laughs> cocaine use. I don't know, but he just doesn't ever seem like the crazy partying guy like Belushi, right? So anyway, he's he's like the Beatles and he Belushi's was, the Stones. He was the polka king of the Midwest. He was the polka king of the well, Midwest. Heavy alcohol use, and then he had a tendency to uh, to binge eat. To you don't say. <laughs> really? So you strange. see the size of the pancake the, from the, Uncle Buck? The occasional <laughs> use of cocaine. Okay. Well, I mean, it's a recreational drug, yeah. isn't it? When they say that, he was definitely on. Okay, but it's like occasional cocaine. It's not like so. This guy was leaving the set to go wander around Chicago to find someone to score coke <laughs> off of. Scott Weiland died, right? And he was like sober, and uh, he died of a drug overdose. Motherfucker never stopped doing it. Yeah, he went through just he went to rehab and got out and immediately went back to drugs. He went through rehab more often than I've been here. Yeah, we're like, hey, he's off. <laughs> like everybody, let's buy tickets, show him our support because he's off the drugs. No, he's not. And then you know, he's dead. Chris Cornell. Cornell, no, but Cornell out. I think he outlived that. And what was his? His was like a prescribed medication, wasn't it? Yeah, they're all which is just as bad. But yeah. he wasn't like it. still Black shooting up. Oh, <clears throat> won't you come? Yeah. I don't, well, now he was on to 
nothing compares to you. And the, God, I love Chris Cornell, but that cover version of Patience that he put out right before he died was terrible. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, blasphemy, but it sucked. Except for that three four John Lennon uh, Imagine cover that he does in like three four. I did. I've never heard Chris Cornell do Imagine. I didn't know he did. I'll have to pull that up for you. I'll we'll have to check that out. Um, all right. So anyway, they're the cops are about to get up to his apartment. They're like at his door, and right as they knock, maybe it's at the exact moment, but she like pushes the button and blows the entire building. And uh, so you get to see like. Elwood is sitting in his chair, falls down, and the, the mannequin that was supposed to be John Belushi falls down as the floor caves in, and then it's just a rubble and pile of bricks, and they just climb out of the bricks and dust themselves off, and he goes, oh, it's 9 o'clock. we got to go to work. That's right. Like, again, <laughs> just so completely unfazed by all of this shit happening. So he works at, like, a glue factory... Uh, or something like there's an assembly line, uh, you know, conveyor belt with all these aerosol cans just shooting through, and a lady just standing there. And he comes up, like grabs one, puts it in his little bag, and walks off. And she just stands there blankly as they start piling up and even falling off of the conveyor belt right in front of her. She's just doing nothing about it at all. Um, so he goes and talks to his boss. This is another scene I guess you guys didn't get. Yeah, I, I don't think I got. I don't even get this one. I don't even think I got the one where he was where he got the glue in the first place. No. Yeah. Okay. See. No. Because right, I so. think um, <clears throat> after the building blowing up and them getting out of the rubble, it goes straight to them uh, going to the, to, to the diner. Uh, was it the diner they went to next? Right. Uh, oh, they go to that lady's house and yeah. then they get the card for the diner. Yeah, because yeah, she's like, okay. I didn't take borders in for a long time, but I, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So no, they he goes to work and he walks up and he's still got his whole Blues Brothers outfit except instead of the sunglasses which are tucked into his jacket pocket, he has safety goggles. <laughs> he's got his PPE, very important. Yeah, but yeah, like there's just this lady just staring into space. <laughs> Pro- could have been a mannequin for all I know. Like just she doesn't move, she doesn't do shit. And he just walks up and kind of looks around and grabs one of the spray cans and sticks it in his bag, and he walks off. And they start, like, he may have jostled one or something, and it blocked the line. So then they just start, like, piling up and falling (laughs) off, like a I Love Lucy bit. And she just stands there, just not reacting or doing shit. And then he goes and sits down and talks to his boss and says, I got to quit. He's like, okay, why? He goes, "Uh, I'm going to quit to become a priest. And he's like, oh, Okay, well, I'll get with payroll and give him your sev- or have them give you severance and, and take care of all that. Okay, God bless you. And the boss is like, oh, thank you. Oh, my God. Like, because this guy's going to be a priest, just bless him, you know? And then, and then that was it. But, <laughs> yeah, he lies, to, he lies about becoming a priest to quit his job. Uh, so then, yeah, the last known address they have for Bones Malone and Blue Lou Marini. They get there and talk to the lady who's Mrs. Tarantino. I don't know if that has anything to do with Quentin or not, but uh, coincidentally here, we're talking about Bones Malone and Blue Lou Marini, who we don't pick up at the same time, even though they live together at this part of the story. They get picked up at different stages. Uh, But these two guys, these two horn players, both played in the band Blood, Sweat, and Tears, which is a fucking excellent band. If you've not listened to them, uh, they're, they're goddamn amazing. But they don't live there anymore. I haven't taken in borders in a long time, like I said. But gives them a card for Magic Murph and the Murph Tones. Now, I saw a bit in the IMDb, IMDb trivia about this, but I didn't uh, didn't go back to confirm it. But 
earlier when they're driving, you can see the Murph mobile on the highway behind them, like before the cop chase, I think. The Murph mobile? The yeah, the car they end up being in, like the red paint and it says Magic Murph and the Murph tones on the car. I think I remember seeing that, yeah. Yeah, so but apparently you can see that I mean you see it later when you get to the, the band and the the band ends up riding in that instead of the blue mm-hmm. following the blues mobile around. But apparently that's on the highway behind him. You can see it sort of like that uh-huh. one scene in Lebowski where you see Walter's van in the background or something. Uh-huh. But so apparently I don't know. I'd go back. So we we cut to the holiday inn. And they're playing something called Quando, Quando, Quando. <laughs> they're doing like the loungiest of all lounge music. And they go to take a break and they put on elevator music version of <laughs> Don't Go Changing or Just the Way You Are is the name of the song. Um, so I love the drummer, Willie, says, Jake, you're out. You're free. You're rehabilitated. What's next? What's happening? You got the money you owe us, motherfucker. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like right to it. And so we find out why he was in jail. Jake did a robbery to cover the tab that the band had run up. He did that to cover you guys, and that's what he got arrested for. Oh, we didn't know. Now, that could also be complete bullshit, because that's how the Blues Brothers operate. (laughs) But we never hear anything else about why he maybe got arrested or what's going on. So uh, we also meet Donald, uh, Donald the Duck Dunn. This man is a bass motherfucking machine, and he's always got that pipe, that fucking pipe just hanging out. But... They were talking about, God, this band. Like, listen to what you guys are doing now with this bullshit music. Like, have you ever had a fucking band that could change the world like we had? And he has the line, we had a band powerful enough to turn goat piss into gasoline. Which cracks me the fuck up every time. <laughs> um, so, you know, like, they're kind of into it. And we also see Steve, the Colonel Cropper, who might as well be Teen Wolf. Um, who's just, God, that dude is one of the smoothest guitar players. Fucking... Sexy guitar parts that dude plays. Um, but they're like, you're never going to get Mr. Fabulous. You're never going to get him. He's a maitre d' at this fancy restaurant. You're never going to get him. And uh, also, Matt Guitar Murphy and Blue Lou, they work at the Soul Food restaurant. So we get the location of the other guys. And they're like, yeah, it's going to be fine. Because here's the second time we get, we're on a mission from God. we got an understanding. We're on a mission from God. On a mission for, so we race to this restaurant where Mr. Fabulous is the maitre d', right? And they just get themselves a table and uh, order, like, the best champagne and all this stuff. Their waiter, by the way, did you notice who the waiter was? No. Waiter was Paul Rubens, Pee Wee Herman. I did notice that, but you don't... Pee Wee fucking Herman. Oh, shit, it was. Yeah. I saw Pee Wee Herman. I didn't... Uh, I mentioned, I think, oh, he's going to be in this movie, but that's it. Nope, that's it. It was just... <laughs> he was the waiter that... He's an extra. Like, essentially, he, he says, like, we've got a... We've got this bottle that's $120. Yeah, that'll be fine. And then he's never... Because when they start bringing food and doing shit with the rest of this diner scene, or diner, <laughs> but <laughs> dinner scene, uh, he he never comes back. That was it. He just had that one part. But their plan here is just to embarrass the shit out of Mr. Fabulous, right? So they're acting like complete slobs, like throwing shrimp into each other's mouths and just slurping <laughs> loudly out of champagne glasses. And John Belushi's like, how much for the women? The little girl, how much for your women? I want to buy them. Like trying to buy, and even the old guy. But his complaint when he calls Mr. Fabulous, they smell <laughs> terrible. I mean, it is offensive. So he's more worried about the scent than like all the other shit they're doing. Um, so this is the third time they t- they say we're on a mission from God. And if you don't agree to this, we're going to come here for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, 
every day until you get shut down. Which, I guess they're not worried about bills. I mean, obviously they walk out on this one, but if they come in the next day for breakfast, they're going to be like, no, you're not allowed. They're not even getting through the front fucking door. So how they really plan on acting this out, I don't think there's there's a lot of thought behind that, but he finally agrees. Throw them out. Fuck. Yeah, fucking get rid of you assholes. So he finally agrees. All right, so now we got Mr. Fabulous, and Mr. Fabulous was the 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 crux. That was how Murph and the Murph Tones were going to be brought in. Like, you never get Mr. Fabulous. You get Mr. Fabulous, okay. So they got Mr. Fabulous, and they're going to get Matt Guitar Murphy and Blue Lou, but on the way, we meet Illinois Nazis, led by the weirdest fucking little tiny baby actor in the world, Howard Gibson, and they're doing their whole... Illinois Nazis. <laughs> I hate Illinois Nazis. (laughs) So they like cut out of the line, kind of go across the yard a bit to get in front of like where they have traffic stopped and drive across the bridge where (laughs) the Nazis are given their presentation or whatever. Their little protest make causing them all to jump into the river. (laughs) And uh, so then we get John Lee Hooker, motherfucking John Lee Hooker blues royalty Playing boogie chilling in the street. Boom, 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 boom. Doom, 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 doom. You can tell that ZZ Top ripped LaGrange off of John Lee Hooker so right. hard. How, 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 how. Yeah, that's right. This, and this is Boogie. John Lee Hooker is the king of Boogie. So they play the whole song, and I love that you get the whole song. You like it lets them jam out, and then as it finishes, John Lee Hooker says, "That's a song I wrote fucking five years ago, whatever." And the other guitar is like, "No, you didn't. No, you didn't." And they start arguing about who wrote the song, and then the Blues Brothers walk past them to go into Ray's Music <laughs> Exchange, right? Or no, into the cafe, into the cafe. Sorry. So they walk into the cafe. We meet Aretha Franklin. Takes their order. Uh, he wants dry white toast. You got fried chicken? Best goddamn fried chicken in the state. Well, More have fried chickens and a Coke. More fried chickens. And some and dry white toast, please. Well, you want wings, thighs, what? Four fried chickens and a Coke. And dry white toast, please. <laughs> so she goes, you want to drink with that? No, ma'am. Just a Coke. And it's so funny because he acts like Joe Friday from Dragnet. No, ma'am. Just a fact, ma'am. Which Dan Aykroyd ended up playing that role in the Dragnet uh, movie. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Um, so she goes back to goes, these motherfuckers. She doesn't say these motherfuckers, but they act like they look like they're in the CIA or something. What? Yeah, get this. One of them wanted dry white toast. Yeah, what? The other one, get this, wanted four whole fried chickens. Yeah, what? And the other one wants four whole fried chickens and a Coke. And Jake, shit, the blues brother. Shit, the blues brother. <laughs> and then Matt Hi, Guitar Jake. Murphy takes his apron off. Matt well, Guitar Murphy, who was jacked stacked. as fuck it's in like this Carl movie. Weathers. I, I mean, this dude is huge. He's like trying to play the guitar. He like, can't even hold it because his muscles are getting in the way. This dude is massive. But he goes out there and he's all excited. These are the Blues Brothers. And she's like, Blues Brothers, shit, they still owe you money. You got yourself a blues right there. Yeah. And, and, she's, <laughs> and so, Blues Brothers... Uh, this is for, ma'am, would, would it help if we told you that this is of a holy nature? Well, see, fourth time. We're on a mission from God. Don't get riled, sugar. Don't you don't get riled, sugar me. <laughs> don't you don't get riled, sugar me. Road no more, and you ain't playing in them old two-bits, lazy dives. You're living with me now, and you're not going to go sliding around with your old white hoodlum friends. White hoodlum friends. 
This is Jake and Elwood, the Blues Brothers. I don't give the a Blues fuck. Brothers? Yeah. Shit. <laughs> they still owe you money, fool. <laughs> Ma'am, would it make you feel any better if you knew that what we're asking Mass here to do is a holy thing? You see, we're on a mission from God. Don't you blaspheme in here. Don't you blaspheme <laughs> in here. In here. Now, this is my All right, man. so. It's my restaurant. You two are going to So they, uh. Matt's trying to argue back with her, and she kicks in to think, which, I don't know, almost every single musical act in this movie, I say, is my favorite one, because I love them all so much, but think, this song is absolutely fucking fantastic. And again, that Donald Duck bass line... Listen to that thing. All right, so great whole number. Like she's sassing him across the diner. They're dancing around, and Blue Lou comes out with his saxophone and plays along along the counter. Um, so on this one, since Aretha also couldn't lip sync for shit, they ended up doing like <laughs> thirty plus takes. Oh shit! And then had to edit the fuck out of it to find when her mouth matched up with the pre-recorded song just jump it all in there it just like in. cut the fuck out of it to make it look like she was singing and it's still pretty bad but i do love how even when she's singing there are times where she sass talks him during the song if you keep knowing things i don't know um god i i just i fucking love that song it's great but then she gets done singing and uh he he basically says, fuck you, woman, and picks his guitar up out of nowhere. It's just sitting there all of a sudden. He just grabs his guitar, <laughs> yeah. like, let's go. And they go out to the car, and then Lou's standing there, like, looking back, nervous. She's like, well, go on, damn it. So, well, go ahead, damn it. So he takes off. Now, here's the funny thing. Uh, when he's running out, the camera follows him from the door of the diner over to their car, which is just sitting in the middle of the fucking street. But as it tracks him across, it in the foreground, you get to see John Lee Hooker's band now fighting each other. Like, the argument about who wrote that song has gotten physical. Oh. And they're legitimately <laughs> fighting in the street about it. Um, so, Carrie, we see a bit of Carrie Fisher at a salon called Curled Up and Die. Yeah, yeah. D-Y-E. Uh, she's reading the instruction manual on a flamethrower. <laughs> so now we get to Ray's Music Exchange. And, of course, Ray is Ray Charles. And I love he's talking to him. And in mid-talk, he fucking whips a gun out and shoots a couple holes in the wall because this kid was trying to grab a guitar. Breaks my heart to see such a young man go bad. <laughs> but just fucking... Breaks my heart for that young going bad. Packing heat, old man. And he manages to hit the wall and not the kid or the guitar. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. Come so on. they're like... Okay, hey, we bought these amps from you. Uh, what do you? I sell a lot of amps. No, these were covered in like red velvet bullshit. Oh, I remember. I'll buy them all back for three fifty. <laughs> I bought them like eight hundred dollars a piece six months ago. How ah, de- depreciation? You know how it is. <laughs> uh, but they're looking at this electric piano. It's like, yeah, several to you for two thousand dollars. Like two thousand dollars, this thing's dead. He's like, yeah, their keyboard's Murph. Like, there, there's really any action on this. He goes, uh, uh, excuse me, and closes his little window and comes along. I don't believe there's anything wrong with the action on this keyboard. Uh, 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 excuse me, uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with the action on this piano. This piano? And then Shake Your Tail Feather. This song. 
So now this is my favorite musical number in the movie. This this song is excellent. It it sounds like he's doing it live. It does. It doesn't sound produced or anything. And he matches, and they get longer shots of him singing than anybody else. Uh. So he probably is. And I'll have like the whole, everybody out in the street just stops and becomes like a flash (laughs) mob dancing. dancing. And when he calls out all the shake your tail feather, do the potato, do the monkey, do the whatever, they're all doing the dances in the street. And like everybody just picked up instruments in the store. (laughs) And of course we get Elwood doing his high knee little fucking (laughs) dance again. Twisted! Shake it, shake it, shake it, shake it, baby! And again... Donald Duck done with that ba- his fucking two fingers on his right hand have got to be the they got to be like the Arnold Schwarzenegger of fingers <laughs> with the amount of just playing he does God he's amazing I know Manny you listen to this would that work is that how that works out because his bass lines are busy as fuck those two fingers are working overtime every song every show I mean listen to that fucking thing I love it. He's like the Danny Elfman of bassists. <laughs> uh, so we get Shake Your Tail Feather, my, my other favorite song of this. Um, do the fly. It keeps on doing yeah. all these. Uh, do, do the swing. <laughs> do these different dances and people in the street doing the dances. Do the bird. I mean, God, the music in this movie is just fucking terrific. I think Eddie Griffin's doing the bird in that. I don't know if you Oh, seen that one guy does look like Eddie Griffin. Um, so then. Uh, uh, what they finish the song and he's like, okay, we'll take it. He goes, oh, as usual, I guess I have to take an I O U. And both of the Blues Brothers just kind of like look at their watch, like. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> for, all, for all the equipment they got, that's probably worth five grand. In like, 1980. Yeah, and they could have just like sold that off and then figured out a way of getting money. I don't know what they could. I feel like there's much easier ways of making well, money. Well, yeah, if they need that the money for the orphanage soon, they could have done that and then had like, a month or two to figure out how to pay back Ray's Music Exchange. He would have taken their dirty stolen money for sure. <laughs> that's right. But that's not what the mission from God is all about. Yeah. So now they go to a phone booth and they're trying to call <laughs> this guy that does booking for him. I have to make a Maury. phone call. And what's funny is they both get in. He's like, what the fuck are you doing? He said, we're going to call somebody. No, I'm going to call somebody. And Dan Aykroyd says, who are you going to call? Which, I mean, I don't know if he knew about the Ghostbusters yet, or if that. but he also wrote Ghostbusters, so it's just funny that he goes, who are you going to call? <laughs> uh, so they're standing there in the phone booth, and Carrie Fisher uses the flamethrower she's reading about and blows up this propane tank that was right next to it. Sends the phone booth up in the air like a rocket, and it crashes down. And the only reaction they have to that is, oh, there must be $7 worth of quarters here, Jake. And then they just get up. There's got to be at least $7 worth of change here. <laughs> and he just gets up to get and it. And they just get up and walk off like nothing happened. Like, what the fuck? Like, at no point does any of this affect them. Uh, all right, so the Nazis find out Elwood's address. They're like, oh, we, we ran the tags on that car that ran us off the bridge. Find out. Okay. I called a friend at the motor vehicle department. Uh. License plate is like a rash all over the computer. The car belongs to a known traffic menace. Traffic menace? You're fucking Nazis and you're worried about a traffic menace? (laughs) And he's a Catholic. And he's a Catholic. Did you get his address? Of course. 1060 West Addison. And then... Let's go. 
Let's they get go. up and go, and we cut to the Nazis sitting in the empty parking lot of Wrigley Field. <laughs> so, great gag, great gag. So now the band's just driving along, like, where's this gig? Where's the gig? It's a... Uh, it's a... Uh, oh, gosh, right. Oh, Bob's Country Bunker. There it is. Because he's totally leading them on a wild goose chase, and they happen to come across this Well, they're venue. on a mission from God, so right, they're hoping course. just something's going to happen. And also, one thing that... Never gets addressed, but they play the entire night until the bar shuts down, mm-hmm. and the other band doesn't ever show. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. But well, not only that, yeah. Well, yeah, we'll get into that too because he obviously they they find this place and then they yeah they work go, their way on stage. They go in there. Um, yeah, Bob's Country Bunker. And they're like, "Are you sure, man?" The, first off, country, but second, it even says "Good Old Boys" on the marquee. He's like, <laughs> "Oh, supposed to say." Blues Brothers, Rhythm and Blues Review, Triumphant Return. Oh, it must be a mistake. I'm going to go talk to Bob. You guys unload the gear. So him and Elle would go in, and they talk to the lady at the bar. It's like, what kind of music you usually get in here? Well, we happen to make the state's best pepper steak. No, thank you, ma'am. We may be sucking back a few beers a little later on. We'll be here all night. You see, we're the band. You are? Oh, that's nice. Hey, Bob! This is the band. What kind of music usually right. get in here? Both uh, kinds. What kind of music do you usually have here? Oh, we got both kinds. We got country and western. Country and <laughs> western. So, yeah, the they built on the ant. And western. So they know that coming in. Well, yeah, because Jake made all this up. The whole reason they're driving, he's just like, yeah, we got a gig. And he's just taking them out randomly hoping to find something. And he sees this and his whole plan, like, not even Elwood's in on it. He doesn't even know about this whole thing. Is just, Jake, okay, now I'm going to hijack this. Now we're going to fight our way into a gig on this place. Like, it's, it's this what are whole- the What do the boys in the band think that they're doing there? Doing, like, a cash show? Or they do, do they really care where it is as long as they're no, playing they're and getting one, paid? They're just wanting to play and get paid, yeah. All right, so, yeah. I, I, these I mean, guys go up there. They could have been like, all right, guys, listen, we have to play some country and some westerns because they end up doing like three or four hours. They, they, yeah. So they know what they're doing. Plus, they're pros. They're seasoned. Did you not right. see Duck in his in his, he, in his Duck pipe? and Duck and Cropper are professional studio they guys. Got this, they got right? they, they, they know all sorts of shit. They if, no problem. If Ryder and the Lowe's can, can do three God, hours, right. they can do it. They no can problem. do three hours for sure. So um, they could have done that right off the bat instead of getting uh, all the beers getting thrown at them. Yeah. Well, it didn't matter, because even when they were doing good, they were still getting <laughs> beers. <laughs> but right. so, so they set up, and the band's even like, chicken wire? What the fuck kind of place is this? But, I mean, there were so many times when I was on the road with TJ, we'd just show up, and it's like, okay, get off the bus, and you're like, what the fuck is this? How do we load in? What are we doing? What's going on? You played where there's chicken wire around the... Never played where there's chicken wire, but it was always a different setup. Like, sometimes we needed the entire board and huge PA setup that TJ had and lights and everything. Sometimes it was like you're basically playing acoustics through a speaker and... I don't know. (laughs) Like, it was a huge range depending on the play. And he never... He didn't tell us shit. He would hardly tell us dates, you know? So you don't always get a lot of information. You just gotta be on the bus and show up where you show up. Uh, So they start out with Give Me Some Lovin'. Excellent song from uh, Spencer Davis group. Steve Winwood at like 15 years old on that, on the original version, the original version. But so they're doing their version, and the crowd, I so the crowd hates it, but I don't care. How how do you hate this? Like we played, we played at places in Nebraska that were country bars, but I'd see Eric Tesmer stickers up, and he's a Hendrix Stevie Ray Vaughan guy. So like, 
I'm sorry. If you get something this solid and amazing coming in, okay, so usually you like Merle Haggard, but you're going to be like, my God. Boy, these boys sure do sound good. You know, like you're, you ain't going to be mad at this, but they're pissed off and they're chucking beer bottles. And uh, so they want uh, their country and Western. Yeah. Bob's like, that's not no Hank Williams tune. And he turns the lights off. Right. So they're like, hey, you know the, the theme to Rawhide? Sure. Yeah. What key? <laughs> hey. All right. So in fact, I think it's even Donald Duck Dunn who comes up with the idea to do Rawhide. Uh I or he, he at least calls out the key. Maybe Elwood's like, Rawhide, what key? A. So they, they play Rawhide. A is Rawhide. a good country. Uh, oh, it is. A, a and E. That's all you need. for. Oh, well, G. <laughs> there you go. A-G-E. Age. What key? A. Good country key. Good, good country, country key. <laughs> See, my man Donald Duck, he knows. So then we get Rawhide, where Jake ends up finding a whip and whips a cigarette out of a lady's mouth at one point. Um, so they go through Rawhide and the whole bar turns around. Bob turns the light back on. Everybody dancing up on tabletops and woo, hoot nanny. Real hoot nanny. While uh, Jake Blues is just standing there with his arms oh, crossed. Oh, yeah, arms crossed. Until he does the background part. Yeah. Then he finds the whip. And then he finds the whip. So they go through Rawhide and then uh, after that they follow up with here's one that's a favorite of the horn section. And they play Stand By Your Man, which favor the horn section because they don't play at all in the song. Probably why it's their favorite. <laughs> oh, but, is that <laughs> I was wondering why he said the, it was the horn's favorite. I mean, they sing along with them. You know, it's like a, a gang chorus. Everybody, everybody sings the whole song, and it's awful. They're all so out of key. It's terrible. But, yeah, they don't actually have to play. So that, I think that's the joke there. But I think it's the best version of Stand By Your Man since Sly will love it. I know it's a Tammy Wynette song. Originally, she wrote it. And had the big hit with it, but Lyle Lovett has a great fucking version. Mostly Wilkie's Lyle Lovett, he rules. But this version... <laughs> it's so funny, the guy sitting there at the bar with his oh, yeah. beer, like, like, about to every, cry. And now all the couples are, like, getting sentimental, or is that one dude who's by himself, like, wiping tears away from his face. Because he ain't got nobody to stand by him, you know? And it's so bad, they're like... Yeah. I love that they didn't try to make this one sound good. Like, the vocals are bad. They didn't harmonize very yeah. much. And I love that. They're so, still getting bottles thrown at them. Still, yeah. No, they're happy bottles. You don't know if they're yeah. bad, mad or bad. Um, so then we like cuts ahead in time, and they're finishing the night with Rawhide again. Bob's happy. Boy, that's some of the best goddamn music we had in here. Blah, 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 blah. And they're like, how about the money? He goes, yeah, you uh, $200 cash, but you drank $300 worth of beer. For the band, you know. Oh, no, no. Uh, uh-uh. Wow. Well, he thought it was complimentary for the band. Well, you got the first for round. the first round, so we thought it was complimentary. No. Okay, well, let me go outside and get a, a traveler's check. See, I usually sit in the car and write it on the dashboard there. So as they're going out... He tells the guys, like, hey, uh, beer wasn't free. We owe money for the beer. You get the fuck out of here. So the band takes off, and they Murph Mobile. <laughs> and they stick around. And right then, this fucking RV pulls up. That's the actual good old boys. So this, like... Three hours late to their gig. Yeah, right? Like, an entire night late to their like they gig. They expect to show up there, and it's like 2 a.m. 2 in the morning, like, we're here to play. Like, motherfucker, we're closed. What the hell's wrong with you? I still get paid. Um... So, again, all of this, like, anything in this movie where you're like, well, how the fuck could they not been there that whole night? So, yeah, the Blues Brothers hijacked the gig, but at some point, the good old boys will have to show up and be like, this is supposed to be our gig. But it does not happen. And this, you know, any kind of 
issue or question can be filed under mission from God. Mm-hmm. Mission from God. Sorry, mission from God. Um, so they finally show up, led by the actor Charles Napier. He's from Rambo 2. He's Silence of the Lambs. He's in Austin Powers. He's in a lot of shit. He's a big actor. Uh, and so Jake pretends they're from like some... Uh, some I can't think of what he says. Like uh, we're some union blacks union thing. Do you have your cards? National what? Association of Musicians or yeah. some shit. And what does he say? You're gonna sound really weird trying to say that with no fucking teeth. You're gonna look real <laughs> funny trying to eat corn with oh, no fucking teeth. No fucking teeth. It's like okay, let me go talk to Bob and try to sort this out. So now Jake's got to play both sides against him. Got no union cards, and we go in there and start playing anyway. Now what you? Yeah, how are you gonna start playing? It's the end of the night. You're gonna stop us. Stein, <laughs> you're going to look pretty funny trying to eat corn on a car with no fucking teeth. There it is. <laughs> yeah, but how do you expect you're going to go in there and start playing? The night's over. You missed the entire gig. What, what the fuck? How are you going to go in there and start playing? Don't worry about it. <laughs> anyway. Continuity. So they, he lies to them both, lies to Bob. He's like, okay, I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to go in there and sit right on the dashboard, blah, blah, blah. And they get in, they just fucking take off. So they made no money, but at least they didn't have to pay for the beer. So then it's like, who the fuck are you guys? We're the good old boys. You're the good old boys. Who the fuck were they then? So Bob hops in the RV with the good old boys, and they chase them down the highway. Now, what I love about this is when it cuts to the RV, you see Charles Napier driving and Bob sitting shotgun, but then you see the four faces of the good old boys <laughs> yeah. in the window, the part of the, the camper yeah. that sits up <laughs> over the cab of the truck. You see the that was funny. Up. <laughs> so... They're racing along, and they go past this billboard. The billboard is for See You Next Wednesday. It's the movie <laughs> See You Next Wednesday, but that's not a real thing. That's just a gag that John Landis puts into every movie. Mm. Somehow he puts an ad for the movie See You Next Wednesday into everything he does. Oh, interesting. Huh. I thought it was like a joke. because on, on the Jesus. See You Next Off Tuesday. Tuesday, they, yeah. The cunt joke. Oh, is that what that means? When they say See You Next Tuesday or I never Catch knew. You Next Tuesday. I wonder all those <laughs> girls don't like me. Because <laughs> you keep telling them you're going to, uh, hey, I'll catch you next Tuesday. Yep. And they're like, ah, asshole. What? I thought we were going on another date. What? Damn. Yeah. Ruined that one. Don't ever try to arrange dates for next Tuesday. Ne- never next Tuesday. <laughs> Monday or Wednesday. Please. Uh, so anyway, they, they go by the billboard, and the cops are hiding behind the billboard doing the speed trap thing. But they recognize it, obviously, because it's the ones from the mall chase. Right? So they're like, oh, my God, I can't fucking believe it. And they... Fucking spin tires, racing out from behind the billboard, and immediately run into the good old boys' RV. And uh, was it? You in big trouble. You in big trouble. All right, so <laughs> now we cut to the band sitting in a sauna talking to Maury, their booker. What about this venue? What about this venue? Well, you guys, you've been out for years. Nobody knows who you are. Like, you can't pack rooms. I'm not going to do any of this. What about this? And at one point, he even tries to blackmail. I'm like, what about Mrs. Maury? Would she like to hear about... (laughs) Are you really trying to fucking blackmail me, Jake? Is that what you're doing right now? (laughs) Look, man, we just need a gig. All right, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So they end up getting the uh, Palace Hotel Ballroom tomorrow night. Tomorrow night. I promise we're going to pack it. Uh, okay, fine. And then it cuts, and the whole band is sitting off to the side <laughs> in towels, too. <laughs> so what's funny is that the whole band sitting there together in the sauna is a recreation of the Blood, Sweat, and Tears album, No Sweat. So again, the fact that members of them are in the member of the Blood, Sweat, and Tears, and then recreating it. Anyway. 
little little thing I noticed. So this that also the fifth time they're when they're talking to more fifth time of the movie we get we're on a mission from God. So we get the Palace Hotel barroom. So now they're cruising around. They got this giant loudspeaker on the top of their car, right? And they're just driving down roads, driving everywhere, promoting. It's like ladies' night at the Palace Hotel barroom. Uh, free parking, only a two dollar <laughs> cover charge, dollar drinks. Like they're just saying what the fuck ever to promote it. Uh, Cab Calloway gets the kids from the orphanage, gives them a little pep talk. They're running around. Yeah. One of them even runs into Aretha Franklin's restaurant. Oh, and gives her the, gives her the sign like, bill. Uh, of course, Ray Charles, because he's blind, hangs his upside down. <laughs> uh, a lot of good gags. And they even at one point, they're like driving on the beach yeah. in the sand. I think that's where the ladies' night came <laughs> out. That's where the ladies' night part yeah. comes in. So then it's like, we covered these counties, these counties, these counties. All right, let's get to the gig. And then... We're out of gas. We're out of gas. So they push the car into the station as the band is loading into the venue. Like, this is a huge hall. We're never going to fill this fucking thing. And Cab's like, you have to, because they're going to donate all of the money to this orphanage. And the band's like, wait, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) So they didn't even tell... Tell the band, oh, by the way, you're not getting paid because all of the money is going to this orphanage. The band's like, what the fuck? Um, So they get to the gas station, and they're like, out of gas. Yeah, we just need to fill up. No, we're out of gas. Truck's two hours late. Well, so I guess they got to wait for the truck, right? Uh, I love, at one point, Elwood's coming back out of the station, and he, like, takes a bunch of, like, Motor belts, oh, the belts, things, and stuff. <laughs> stuff his, he's just stealing for the sake of stealing, honestly. And he's walking out, and there's this lady that pulls up in a little roadster. It's like, can you uh, fill it up and, and check the oil and do all this stuff? And obviously, they don't have any gas, so he's doing nothing to her car. And then it's like, that'll be ninety four dollars. <laughs> no, here's ninety five, and he tries to give her a dollar change. No, keep it. Okay, and just stuffs it all in his jacket, <laughs> all the cash. But uh, this this lady is Twiggy, Twiggy the supermodel, seventies supermodel. Yeah, okay, she is. I didn't. It's Twiggy. So, uh, and I can't say Twiggy. I was always want to say Twiggy Ramirez because of the Marilyn Manson band, right? And the whole thing with the Marilyn Manson, like he got his name from Marilyn Monroe, Charles Manson. Twiggy, this supermodel, Ramirez, the son of Sam Killer. Like, the whole point of the Marilyn Manson band was to have, like, a a model superstar first name and a serial killer last name. And that's what all the band members... What would yours be? Son. Mine? Uh, fuck, I don't know. I Ty- feel- Tyra Gacy. Tyra Gacy? <laughs> Tyra Gacy. <laughs> uh, maybe. Or Cindy Gaines. Cindy Gaines? Because Ed, Ed Gaines was like the original serial killer, like dug up bodies to make furniture out of their skin. And, and he was a big inspiration for Buffalo Bill and Silence of the Lambs. Okay, cool. Cindy Gaines, that, that works, right? Sure. I don't know, listeners. <laughs> Find us on Twitter. What would your Marilyn Manson band name be? Hashtag Marilyn Manson band name. Carmen. Let's get that started. Carmen Bundy. Band. Yeah. Carmen Bundy. Carmen Bundy. <laughs> That ain't bad. That ain't bad at all. And we never, we never found out who the Zodiac killer was. So we can't use that. Mm. Uh, but Dennis Raider was the BTK. Ooh, we could do Raider, so it could be uh... Nick Raider. <laughs> I do. Uh, I would do Oprah Gacy. Oprah. Oprah's not a That's sex not symbol. A model. Like a model. Didn't she? Didn't she like? She not? Would you not call her a model? No. no. All right. 
Damn. Model for Weight Watchers, maybe. All right. But... Well, that's a model. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, uh, Heidi Raider. Heidi, Heidi Klum. Raider. Yeah. Heidi, Heidi Raider. Raider. Heidi Raider. Heidi Raider her Klum. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd raid her Klum like it was a lost arc. <laughs> send us your. <laughs> yeah, send please. Us your Marilyn send Manson us your, band your name. Your Marilyn Manson band name. Hashtag Marilyn Manson band name. Let us know. Anyway, so the supermodel, he's like, hey, uh, let's meet at this hotel later, maybe around midnight, you know, uh, let's meet at this hotel. And she's like, think about it, and drives off. Uh, So ballroom's filling up, good old boys are shuffling in, you know, and the cops starting to shuffle in. They're like, what the fuck are these guys? What's going on? They're like, we need the gig. Uh, They finally get gas. In fact, they overflow because John Belushi's drinking a bottle of wine sitting there as they're filling up the tank and it starts spilling out onto the ground. And he's like, oh, shit, oh, shit, we gotta go. So they're, they're heading to the gig. But since they're late, Cab Calloway is like, hey, you guys know Minnie the Moocher. And then this starts my favorite musical act howdy, howdy, of the movie. Howdy. Because this is a hit of his from the 40s, I want to say, maybe 50s. And he had to do a new version. They wanted a cleaner version <laughs> Obviously, for the movie, because and recorded, Donald Duck needs to be playing, and also Donald Duck needs to be playing. And I love they're like trying to sneak into the venue, and at one point they're walking in time with the song. Yeah, yeah. So they're like taking slow steps, but then during that, they trade faster. Hey, folks, here's a story about Minnie the Moochie. I love, love, love this song. Uh, fun fact When Mrs. Passion and I were dating I had a dry erase board on my fridge And she like Wrote out Half wrote words Half illustrated Lyrics to Minnie the Moocher on it And then she gave me a shirt Which I Don't know that I'll ever be able to fit in again But It has a picture of Cab Calloway And then the lyrics The entire lyrics of the song Down it Because I told her how much I love this fucking song So she gave me a bunch of Minnie the Moocher stuff because she's not only a designer, but really thoughtful. So they're sneaking in, and as they're sneaking in, uh, yeah, oh, I forgot. As they're driving away from the gas station, Carrie Fisher blows up the gas station. Yes. Blows the whole fucking <laughs> thing up. And they're driving, and you can see the fireball shooting into the sky behind them, and they just, like, yeah, man, I don't know, 20 minutes to the venue. Like, they don't even acknowledge it, <laughs> of course. So they park below, like, in a sewer tunnel or something that's, like, below the street. Or, a, or maybe a runoff, because it's just really an arch or... It's, it's not like an enclosed... I don't know, it's below the street. But they walk right out, so it's kind of opened. Right, they're like in Underneath a, the roadway. We, I don't know what those are, but they are a Like sewer. a water runway or something underneath water the Water runway. So as they park their car and they come walking out, you can see that on the top of where they parked is all the cop cars and the blockades and everything. And so uh, he goes into the good old boy's RV and... Puts glue on the on the floor, underneath the pedal, then marine on top of the adhesive. pedal. Marine adhesive. Marine adhesive is what it was. That was marine mar- epoxy. Or epoxy, yeah. Yeah, because it says the but he goes, and he comes out of the RV and looks at Jay and goes, this is glue. Strong <laughs> stuff. This is glue. Strong stuff. And then they go up to the cop cars, and he pulls out another bottle, and he sprays it in, and it's like some kind of butane something something that when mixed with oxygen and heat causes expansion. 
So as they start to drive, it's going to blow their tires. That's not in the... You didn't see that scene? No. no. Okay, because they go cop car to cop car. and like, Well, I mean, we don't see them hit every cop car, but they, they do want to head over to the second, and then it cuts. But yeah, He just yeah. does, says the strong stuff, and then it goes then back it goes, to the oh, stage. Oh, no, because he goes over to a cop car and sprays another thing into their tires. Like, he opens up the little nozzle mm. and does something yeah. to their tires. You know, it's all funny right. about this uh, this song, uh, Minnie the Moocher, mm-hmm. that he's all they're all in white tux and everything, and then oh yeah, when he's singing, it cuts to like a fancy, and because it even has Cotton Club on the background, like the there's a mural in the background, and Cotton Club was a well-known jazz club, also a movie about like the 30s, 40s jazz era and those clubs there. So they go to that, and he's in his old white coat with tails, and he does this little prance around the stage while pointing at the floor. He has that one arm down. <laughs> Doing his cab getting low. Yeah, and they go into like full jazz nightclub mode, and then as soon as the song's done, they're just back to the regular Blues Brothers looking <laughs> danky shit. Um, all right, so I love that scene. Uh, John Candy sitting with two other officers at the table. <laughs> orange whip. You want orange whip? Orange whip. Three orange whips. And that was completely improvised. Someone had convinced him to put that in. Because orange whip is a is a is a drink. Like uh, yeah. there's a, an orange whip. There's a mixed orange drink. Whip. Orange whip. Three orange whips. There's a mixed drink for it, but orange whip, as he was talking about, was like a, I don't know, a juice, like a sugary drink that you get. And they were like orange soda and whipped cream, essentially. Some, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Sounds but, good. Like but they were just like, hey, can you can you throw that in there? Can you? Hey, John, do us a solid and work that in somehow. All right. So he just <laughs> he just threw that out there. Completely. Uh, so, uh, Cab's looking around like the number's done. What do we do? Sees them like peeking through the curtains at the back of the auditorium, and they're saying we're going to walk around. So he kicks the band in, and they kick into their what's their opening theme? But it's "I Can't Turn You Loose" is the name of it. Uh, it's an old song, but they're like playing with Otis Redding's version of the song. Um, so they fucking come out. And they do the whole dancing and dancing, and Elwood's like taking his harmonica out of his briefcase and sending it down, <laughs> and they have the whole show thing, and he fucking backflips up, and then they. Nope, not yet. Oh, wrong one. So they do the whole thing, and they do their big pose at the end, and the crowd is just dead, silent. <clears throat> okay. So they kick in the next number, which is Everybody Needs Somebody to Love where he does a speech about, I would like to thank all members of the Illinois State Law Enforcement who are here with us tonight. <laughs> and, uh, hey, you know, you, me, him, everybody. Yeah. No matter who you are and what you do to live, thrive, and survive, there's still some things that make us all the same. You, me, them, everybody. 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 Somebody, Great. This is my favorite song of the movie. <laughs> Again? <laughs> everybody needs somebody else. So there, the, this is supposed to be the Palace Hotel Barroom, which is it doesn't exist, never did exist. Uh, they used a separate building for the exterior shots. Um, and I, I, I didn't take notes of that. But the interior is filmed at the, the Palladium in downtown Los Angeles. So they actually filmed that in, at a theater in Los Angeles which I thought was where I played with Connie Lim, my friend, but we played the Orpheum. So I was like, oh my God, I played the same stage as Blues Brothers, but no, I did not. So that's my bad. 
Uh, so okay, we get everybody to love, and all of a sudden, like within the first minute of the song, the crowd is completely won over. They're clapping along. They're in. They're in it. The cops are all dancing. Everybody like they totally want it because you know mission from God. They're winning everybody over, and uh, so when they were actually touring, when Blues Brothers the band was actually going around and doing stuff, Paul Schaefer was their pianist and uh, musical director, organizer, arranger, everything, and and I have. Or you can even find them. I mean, I guess it doesn't matter about having the recordings anymore. You can fucking stream anything anywhere. But on live recordings, you, you can hear John Belushi introducing Paul Schaefer as a member of the band. That, like, he was their guy. But at the time they were making this movie, he was working on another movie and couldn't do it. So John Belushi fired him for being disloyal to the band. <laughs> so... Find me some coke. I'm sorry. That's I'm why they have Murph. On, they have Murph on keyboards instead of Paul Schaefer, and then it was just somebody. They hired somebody to be like musical director for the movie. It had nothing to do with the Blues Brothers, just for the movie. Um, so Paul Schaefer doesn't get to work here. Um, so they get through. Everybody needs somebody to love. The whole crowd does clapping along. You, you, you singing along. They win everybody over, and then they kick into Sweet Home Chicago with a. They, they cut into Sweet Home Chicago, which I believe is Matt Guitar Murphy, who doesn't play much in this movie. Like there are a few times where it cuts to him doing some lead thing, and he's usually just like running his fingers along the strings. It's like a lot of stuff. Uh, and so I was always like, why the fuck is he a big deal? Who I you got Steve Cropper, who's a legit badass. Why the fuck is Matt Guitar Murphy such a thing in this movie or in the Blues Brothers band? Because again, in those live recordings. Still get Matt Guitar Murphy. But then if you watch like videos of him, like you can YouTube Matt Guitar Murphy. Dude's a fucking stud on guitar for sure. Absolutely. I don't Piano know, player? Yeah. I don't know why he didn't do anything in the movie. Because every like during Jailhouse Rock where everybody got their little part, his whole thing was just... He didn't like do a lick. He doesn't do anything. He just slides his hands up and down the <laughs> neck. But dude's legit. I just don't know why he didn't do any of it in this fucking movie ever. So they sing Sweet Home Chicago, and then they start dancing as all the solos, solo after solo happens, and they dance off stage. and here comes this guy who's like, hey, uh, I work with uh, Clary on records or something, and uh, we're going to give you a $10,000 advance. So they say, take $1,400, give it to Ray's Music Exchange, give the rest to the band. That means the band made $8,600 for that gig. Not, not bad. bad. In 1980? <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Fuck, that's a good... That's well, a no, good didn't get. they take 5000 No, that was the door. The door. The door is going to the orphanage. The door. So that that, advan- that guy came up and gave them advance on a recording contract. Right. That had nothing to do with the orphanage or their 5000 they needed. But that's what... They didn't get any of that money right off the... They didn't no, get that 5000 was from the door, the ticket sales. Oh, oh, that I guy see. gave them advance on recording. That was totally separate. That's why I went to the music exchange and the band. Well, and also, didn't they say that that hall seated five thousand? They charged two thousand or two dollars, so that's ten. Well, I guess probably the five thousand to to rent the oh, facility. Oh, that's going to go to the, yeah. this. Uh, I guess Maury's so. got to get a cut. The venue's got to get a cut. Blah blah blah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. So seems like it checks out. Then the guy's like, "Oh, also conveniently, mission from God. I happen to be a bouncer here in the seventies, and I know <laughs> yeah. that there's a there's an electrical duct all right behind your drummer's riser, so you can sneak out through there. So then they get on their hands and knees and like crawl behind <laughs> the band to go down a thing, and they tell the drummer, 
hey, we got to get out of here. You guys just keep playing. And he just like tip doffs his cap via drumstick. Just okay. So they played a song and a half fucking gig. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Thanks for the money. Yeah. Fuck, and- I can master that. <laughs> master a song and a half. Yeah. So they 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 just leave. Basically a two song show, I guess, if you count Cab Calloway's song. As far as the audience, you got a two song show. Well, yeah, they would count. The Blues Brothers didn't. But so uh, they, they're heading back down the tunnels to the car when all of a sudden here's Carrie Fisher with a fucking machine gun just <laughs> firing at him. And she's. So now she's pissed because he stood her up at the wedding. I remained celibate. At the back of a cathedral, waiting in celibacy. Okay, also, you're waiting at the back of a cathedral in celibacy. Like, is it common to be fucked in the back of a cathedral? How are you waiting in celibacy? To obtain the seven limousines for the wedding party, my father used up his last favors with Mad Pete Trollo. So for me, for my mother, my grandmother, my father, my uncle, and for the common good... Her only lines in the movie. I must now kill you. Yeah, she never says shit. I must now kill you. And then we get his plea... Well, you don't know that first. He's like coming up to her, like you think he's gonna disarm her or something. Like he's gonna like sweet talk her. You don't know, and then oh, you. Please don't kill us! Please, please don't kill us! You know I love you, baby. I wouldn't leave you. It wasn't my fault. You miserable slug! You think you can talk your way out of this? You betrayed me. No, I didn't. Honest. I ran out of gas. I had a flat tire. I didn't have enough money for cab fare. My touch didn't come back from the cleaners. An old friend came in from out of town. Someone stole my car. There was an earthquake. A terrible flood. Locust. It was Locust. I, I love also an old friend came in from out of town. Like <laughs> that was unplanned and you didn't know about your wedding or <laughs> like. And then he takes off his glasses yeah. and he gives her those puppy dog Belushi eyes. Yeah, because those and are... that's what does it. Yeah. It's that look when he's on his knees in the mud. His face is filthy. Jake. His eyelids. Except his eyes clean. are clean. Okay. And he's oh, Jake. And he stands up, grabs her, and gives her this big old like spin around ending of Casablanca type kiss, and then drops her ass in the mud. Let's go. <laughs> They're still kissing. Let's go. Drops her, and then Elwood as he tries to run by. Take it easy. <laughs> <laughs> Take it easy. All right, so they get to their car, and we get this. This I've seen on posters. Like, you get posters with this quote. Yeah. 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half-pack cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. And then they take off. And here's the chasing. The chasing. Or, I guess... D chase scenes. I don't know if you count it as multiple or one long one, whatever. Uh, the RV's coming along, the good old boys, but all you know, once he floored it to get going, all of a sudden he can't unfloor it. So then he starts like weaving through the cop cars because he can't control himself, and they ramp off into the water, and everybody's like floating inside the RV, and he looks over at Bob, who's still with them for some reason. Don't you say a fucking word. <laughs> Uh, so then also it cuts to Twiggy and maybe this is only my version also, but Twiggy standing outside the hotel. No. You guys didn't get that. 
she actually goes to the hotel and she's standing out there next to her car like Oh yeah, waiting. I saw yeah, that yeah. was there. So yeah, she gets, it was a real quick cut. Yeah, she gets stood up by Elwood. Uh Nazis hear about the chase going on, so they they'd race off and join in. Uh and then it's all of a sudden it's the next morning, sun's coming up, right? And Elwood's like, Jake, trying to wake him up because he's been sleeping through a high speed chase. <laughs> but Jake, I gotta pull over. And he just whips off the highway down the steep ass shoulder through a median onto a frontage road. <laughs> like it's not pulling over. Uh, but then as he does that, all the cops try to follow, and we get a huge pile up, right? At least 10 fucking cop cars on top of each other. Here's our second, you broke my watch. Uh, John Candy's car flies into the back of a fucking truck, and he's like, hey, hey, give me that radio. Give me your radio, please. Uh, what car number is this? Five, five. Uh, hey, okay. It's car number 55. Uh, we're in a truck. Which is a good, good little candy <laughs> bit. Um, so, I mean, like they're racing, they're getting into the city. Uh, everybody's out. We got horse cops out there. We got boat cops. We got helicopters. We got MPs. We got SWAT. We got everybody come along. They're on Lower Wacker Drive, uh, which I, I do need to bring up because Coach took my buddy Theron and I when we went to visit. She took us specifically on Lower Wacker because Lower Wacker. this is where... This is where the Blue Brothers chase happened. So she, she made sure that we got to see that. Uh, and then there's another pileup under the L. Remember, the L train was the... Uh, yeah, big, that was a crazy crash the scene, big debate too, about the Batman Begins episode, the L train. Right, uh, it's that's an our, elevated train. That's our, that's our third They Broke My Watch when they pile up under the L. But yeah, that was a crazy one. So they filmed this twice because they had a short window where they were allowed to close down... Lower Wacker in this area. So they did one race through with some extras and stuff, and then they did a second for top speed. And I think at one point someone hit 183 miles an hour. That's crazy. Yeah, because one of them's going so fast. And I'm like, holy crap, what if they run into like the the train or something? So they split, spliced them together. And they did one where everything was cleared out, and they just like as fast as you could fucking go. Damn. And so then when they were... Using that second take, they were like, it looks like it, the footage was sped up. So then they spliced in some from the first take with with pedestrians and other vehicles and stuff mm. to make it look Yeah, because there fitting. was one scene where the vehicle was going faster than the previous ones, and yeah, there yeah. was nobody around. Yeah, yeah. So they did they did two run-throughs to mm-hmm. make this, this scene happen. And yeah, that they, they hit 183. You can also see on the back of the cars, uh, uh, the back pile of the cars, a piece of black wood that they laid down so that the cars can fly up, like as, use it as a ramp. Oh, okay, okay. You'll see it all broken in the back there. <laughs> Chunks of wood? Yeah, because they painted, obviously, the top matte black so that it sort of blends it in. It would blend in, yeah. But you definitely, only, you definitely see it because it's when it's broken, it, there's obviously wood. They didn't paint the whole thing around. Oh, right, right, so right. it's just right. the top of the wood that's black. Yeah, well... You know, they uh, went through a lot for this movie. This movie held the record for most wrecked cars for a very long time. Oh, really? Well, maybe not very long time, but for, for, for a good while. So all the cop cars wreck, right? All these cop cars wreck, and the Nazis end up behind them. So it cuts to the right of the Valkyries. <laughs> As the Nazis are following them up this, this unfinished bit of highway, and uh, much like, I think, Lethal Weapon 2, where he rides a motorcycle off the end of an unfinished highway. But anyway, much like that. So, But 
as they're getting to the end, the, the Bluesmobile does a backflip out of nowhere. <laughs> like, they don't even try to set up a ramp or explain it in any way. It just, like, tips up, flips over, somehow apparently twists in midair because it lands facing the other direction on its wheels and takes off just fine. Well, yeah, because what happened, they saw that, you know, it doesn't continue, hit the brakes, ended up right on the edge, and then reverse. And, and then, them. yeah, like, it looked like he hit the brakes, and that caused him to flip over and so, twist. And, and, and twist in midair, because they, <laughs> when, they, when it lands, they're facing the other direction, yeah. they just straight take off, yeah. and the Nazis... Fly go through the ramping air. off the highway and just shoot up. Like when they ramp off, you see the car fly up like fucking Charlie and his uncle in the factory when they're. <laughs> Evidently, they're so about 3,300. I mean, uh, they go way up. And then 30, the other. 3,000 feet in the air. The other evidently. guy looks at the main knot uh, at Henry Gibson and goes, I've always loved you. <laughs> and then they just fall and they fall and they fall. And then as they're falling, they fall past the top of the Sears Tower. So they were higher than the Sears Tower <laughs> as they're falling and falling and falling. And then they hit the ground and cause such a cave-in on the street that then the other Nazi car parks on top of them, makes it almost level, and the Bluesmobile like, jumps over the <laughs> Nazi cars. Uh, great little uh, gag, I guess? Little little tidbit there. So they like <laughs> racing now in downtown, they go past Richard H. Daly Center. We talk about the Daly Center a lot. They actually go through the glass... <laughs> like. Go through Literally the lobby. Drive through the Daily Center, through the lobby of it. Oh, it was it? We got to go downtown. Oh, that's where they have that Picasso. <laughs> um, yeah. So they finally they park outside the courthouse and get out of the car. And as soon as they get out, the whole thing just falls <laughs> into parts. And they stand there and look at it a bit. Elwood takes his hat off in like a somber moment. A gargoyle looks down, or a statue. I mean, and then they run inside. Right? <laughs> As soon as they get inside the building, the, every bench, every trash can, every table they can get their hands on, <laughs> block it in front of the door, and then run up to the guy, hey, where's the uh, Cook County uh, tax, whatever, with the office? Okay, that's all. Uh, go down here, go to the right, up to the 11th floor. All right, cool. So go down and get on the elevator. Of course, we get the great little gag of like the super elevator music version of Girl from Ipanema. <laughs> yeah. As like SWAT teams are coming in, they're going down the building, and they're just and then like axing through the door. It's a really funny fucking. It's a good bit. Um, so they get off the elevator, but right before he gets off, he opens up the door of it and fucking uses a spray can and a lighter and fries the circuitry of the elevator. Could have just pulled a couple wires, but... Uh, Could have, but no, needed no, to fry it. And then they em. look over and they see the door for the stairway and they stack up every bench and trash can and everything they could <laughs> that, find that, in front uh, of that. The screwdriver he used... Yeah, just the push know, screwdriver? They call those Yankee, I think. Yankee screwdrivers. I, I was looking them up because I wanted one. He just goes, chunk and it like unscrews the thing like yeah, that. Like, Yankee screwdriver. Awesome. So they do that, and then they go through like a... A lobby office door, and then of course, even though it's all glass, they stack everything in front of that too. <laughs> Just every, I love how like every door they go through, they grab, and even those tiny little trash cans. Like it doesn't matter how small. Yeah, I it, thought that it, was funny. Fucking immaterial it is. They stack it up in front of the doorway, and then they get to the actual county clerk's office, and it says back in five minutes. <laughs> so then they just stand there. They're standing there doing this little thing. They snap their hands, and he's not quite getting it, and Elwood like goes, no. 
and shows him, and he looks back and does it right. Oh, yeah, okay. That's like, that's just how they're casually passing the time, standing there waiting <laughs> these five minutes, even though they're being chased by the military at this point. Um, so I, then, that part, that wasn't in what I saw either. No? Yeah. Really? God damn. So you must have saw the extended cut or something. Well, they added stuff back in for the DVD release because I don't even have like an anniversary, you know, like it's just the it's new just DVD. Blues Brothers on DVD. I don't even have a, a special edition of it. Um, so when the clerk finally opens the door, he's still eating a sandwich. That's Steven Spielberg. Yeah. Steven motherfucking Spielberg himself is the guy. Oh, can I help you? So they go and pay. They go and pay the taxes, right? And he signs the thing and does the does the receipt, stamps it. As he's handing the receipt over, and they reach out to grab it, boom, handcuffs. Because literally, the second their mission is done, <laughs> it all caught up. It to them. all caught up. Like, and I love that because the whole movie is like impossible, crazy shit. Because they're on a mission from God, and literally the exact second their mission for God is done. His protection's gone, and they get arrested. <laughs> and then it, like, so you see the handcuffs in a minute as it pans back. The entire room is full, full of guns pointing of at him. Guns <laughs> pointing at him. <laughs> Just so many people pointing at him. So then, then it cuts to them playing Jailhouse Rock in jail. Because uh, the guy wants to get a, he wants, to, they got to do an album. So now they're doing a live album from prison, I guess, like Johnny Cash. Yeah. Big so nod. they're doing this, but then during this also it cuts through everybody in the movie. All the members of the band get a moment. All the character like uh, Cab Calloway, James Brown, Aretha Franklin, everybody gets their little stanza, gets their little part to do Jailhouse Rock. Um, but also, one last cameo, Joe Walsh. Really? The eagle himself. Really? Is the prisoner, the blonde-haired, mustachioed prisoner that finally gets so excited, he jumps up on the table. He's the first oh, one on the table. Uh, and then when there are guys hanging like from the walkway, he's one of the guys those hanging. Those are the but, eagles. Yeah. The rest of the eagles. <laughs> yeah, those are the other eagles. It's Don Henley, Glenn Fry. But uh, yeah, so Joe Walsh gets a little cameo in here as the, the excited prisoner. So this, yeah, that runs us through. Oh, yeah. That is yeah, Joe, that's Walsh. Joe Walsh right there, <laughs> slamming his cup on the thing. So that I mean, and it's kind of a cool way to do your ending credits. Like you get to see everybody do something instead of like playing a clip from the movie they were in. They're all a part of like just a big closing number, like a musical would do. And uh, that's that's it. That's the end of Blues Brothers. That brings us to our final thoughts, fellas. What do you? Uh, well, let's go around our horn here, our horn, so to speak. I guess <laughs> since you know the band. I thought it was good. I've seen this movie uh, a couple times, and okay. it's a good movie. Uh, there's nothing. Okay. There's nothing bad about it. It's. It's a. It reminds me. I watched Tenacious D Pick a Destiny before I saw this movie. Really? Yeah. I mean, I never was interested in watching this movie, but then you watch this movie, and you're like, oh, I see where that whole idea comes from. Mm-hmm. You know, they got a whole mission that they got to do, and they play some music, and it's like musicals in between and everything. Yeah. So, yeah. It's a good genre. I like it. It's fun. It's a rewatchable movie. All right. Finally. We've <laughs> been fucking los over for a bit now. There you go. I was rewatchable last week. Was it? Yeah. 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 All right. All right. Wait, wait. Uh, is that, that movie Bloodsport, out yet? Yeah. Bloodsport. Well, I did... by the time you listen to this, it will be. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, this was the first watch for me. So that was. That's just insane to yeah. me. That's I mean, crazy. I've, I've always known about it. I've right. always heard great things about it. 
Uh, and so in my mind, it was, you know, hey, it was a good, great movie, all this. Like a, like a legit classic. Yeah. Well, see, that's where that, that was my perception of it, the way I would hear it spoken about. And then I get to watch it. And I'm like, OK, no, this is a good movie, but not like from a cinematography. Right, 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 right. Aspect. From a cult. Like a cult, very specific niche, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, Audience. Audience, yeah. Like, it's, uh, I can see why it's that good. And yeah, I did enjoy it. I enjoyed all the, the musical numbers. Um, by the time it got to the cafe scene, I was like, is this movie technically a musical? Because it kind of right? does follow it in like this, the lead up of that scene into the, the musical scene in the cafe. I was like, wait, there's a, there's a number forming right here. Like, yeah. Right? I was like, <laughs> that's what I was like, hmm, okay. Which I don't care for musicals usually, but I did enjoy this one. So yeah, it's it's rewatchable. Hell yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not standard musical where all of a sudden we just, oh, 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 oh <laughs> break into this big song and everybody, but... Oh, yeah, I guess they do. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's... Yeah! It is very much a musical, but it's also very much a complete farcical, absurd comedy... I mean, it's just... It's so stupid at times. Like... Very like entertaining. We how how in the fuck is an entire building collapse on you? And you're <laughs> like, oh shit, we got to go to work. You know, you just dust your shoulder off a bit. And uh, there's so many things. And it's just kind of like, a, hey, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I don't worry about it. Uh, but just very entertaining. The music is absolutely top notch. The every single musical number here is excellent. It's all wonderful. Uh, obviously rewatchable. I. Would rewatch it after I've watched re-watch. it, like I, immediately rewatchable on this movie. It's that's the motherfucking Blues Brothers. However, that being said, do not if you somehow have not yet, do not ever, ever unless you want to punish somebody, watch Blues Brothers two thousand. Don't, don't, do not. Is it that bad? It's awful. We get John Goodman, who's usually fucking fantastic, as the other one, as the the Belushi replacement. And we get more modern guys like Johnny Lang is in it, who is like a 90s, early 2000s young hotshot guitar player, right? Uh, Aretha Franklin does another version of Respect instead of doing Think and this. But it's, I mean, they just tried so hard to do the exact same thing again. But in the year, I, oh God, it wasn't even in 2000. In like in 90, 2000. It was like 96 or 97. Like it wasn't even in 2000. Mm. So why they call it? And it would, I mean, it was fucking God awful. So don't. Ever, <laughs> ever, ever watch it. It's not rewatchable. But this one, definitely watch uh, as often as you can. Excellent. If you like what you heard, you can rate, review us. You send us all your love and adoration. If you don't like what you heard, you go fuck yourself. But if you did, find us <laughs> on Twitter at rewatch underscore the, or you can email us, as always, at the rewatch party at gmail.com. Uh, you know, tell us, tell us some stories. How, uh, what about, did you grow, like, I grew up on this movie. Did you grow up, you had fond memories of the Blues Brothers? Let us know. Uh, but also, join us next week as we welcome our blue-eyed boy, Kurt Russell, back in the crazy, fucked-up, most twisted Western I have ever seen in my life, Bone Tomahawk. Until then, I'm Nick with Los and Brandon, and thanks for rewatching.
house. Lean back. Right there. Bracing. This is going to penetrate. Good evening. Civilized towns. You look a man direct in the face when you talk to him. This isn't comfortable. Well, it's not supposed to be. Here's a uh, situation. Serious. Mrs. O'Dwyer was abducted. She is my everything, and those savages have got her. God knows what they're doing to her. Every second that we delay. You know who did this? I don't have a name. How many of them do you think there are? It won't matter. You have no chance against any number of them. I'm, I'm coming with you. No, no, I need you here. And this is what a backup's for, to help an emergency, not stay back. I'm coming. We're making a five-day journey in three days, riding along and sleeping the bare minimum. I don't know what's west of here. No cattle trail or anything else goes in that direction. If our horses die before we get there, or we go into hostile territory, weak and foggy with exhaustion, we won't rescue anybody. Don't be scared. I am a friend. You aren't. You had no cause. If you want to question my morals, do it later. Bless us, O Lord, and these thy gifts, which we are about to receive. Thank <laughs> you. 